0: You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co.
1: Welcome everybody, this is Derek. I'm joined by Rich on the latest Sixers Beat, a part of the CLNS Media Network, it's been a little while the last one we did was right before I took off for LA so before the all-star break Sixers have played six games since then have gone four and two in that stretch um some, some well a really good win over the Cleveland Cavaliers on the road and you know some taking care of business wins over the Bulls the Magic and the Hornets who had been playing a little bit better of late but how you
0: doing Rich? I'm good, man. You've been, uh, you've been all over the country over these past couple of weeks here.
1: A little more travel than I used to have to do for PhillyMag or for DerekBotner.com. Yeah, that, that that's correct. It's been, it's been good. It's been a little bit weird. Uh, you know, I think I left Philly and it was like 40 degrees. Got to LA. By the time I left LA, it was like 59. The last day there was really cold, and I flew back to Philly and it was 75. So the weather's been a little bit weird. Uh, but it's been great. Uh, between the All Star Game, which I mean, if we're being honest, the All-Star Game isn't any more interesting when you're there. Uh, but it's a it's a, a great event, and it was good to get out of the Philadelphia area in the middle of February. I'm more than happy to go to LA in the middle of February. And Sloan Boston is just I say this all the time it is the best networking event for basketball across the year, and that's just not for people in analytics departments. But you've got scouting directors there, you've got GMs there, you've got everyone in the media there, and nobody really has any work to do because of the trade deadlines. In the rearview mirror, and there's no games being played. Uh, or games have just started picking up, but it's a it's a great event. It really is. Enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, Been back and with I the mean, flu,
1: but other than that, I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, and you got to see. I mean, the way that uh, that our colleague at the Athletics, Shil Kapadia, described it was the the most famous. You know, the the biggest rock star there was Barack Obama, of course. But uh, coming in at a close number two was Sam Hinkey.
1: Yeah, and the fact that Barack Obama got a, an ovation is probably about all that I'm legally allowed to say about that speech. There was a, a pretty, uh, a pretty direct gag order imposed on that one. Which, oh,
0: oh yeah. What what was that?
1: I, I don't know. It, it was funny because whatever was said, there's really nothing that would have made any news. So I don't know why it had to be that strict. But yeah, there's no uh no video, no no photography, no recording, no video, uh, and no tweeting about it was was allowed. So. Um, Who knows? It was, it was, it was, it was an event. That's for sure. It was an event. And yeah, Sam Hankey got the only other real ovations there, at least, um, before the speech ovations. It was really weird. There's just a section of the, of the, of the audience that I assume had to be students. Like it seemed like a a young portion, but they would just scream whenever he was announced. Like almost like, like, like he was a member of the Beatles. It was one of the craziest (laughs) things I've ever seen. Uh, It's not an applause. It was like a, an actual scream. Like <laughs> it, it was it was weird it was weird. and nobody uh, thought it was weirder that's than my Sam did thing. nobody thought it was that. weirder than Sam did um but yeah good event real good event uh but we're back now to basketball so i guess what we're going to do now is we're kind of going to we're going to grade Brian Colangelo on the first i guess what well, we're probably about 20 21 months into his reign as general manager but before we do that we do have to quickly talk about the way they've been playing they're playing tonight for the 5th spot, and I guess context, we're recording this Sunday pretty much right before the game. Very unlikely to get out before the game is played, and even less likely that you'll listen to it before the game. So just letting you know that is when we're, we're recording it. Um, So 4-2, playing well. Tonight they'll be playing for the 5th spot in the Eastern Conference, if they win, because the two teams that would be in 5th in, in uh, are playing against each other, so one of them has to lose. So if the Sixers win, they will be in fifth spot, Rich, which is insanity. Uh, I looked it up. They currently have, if you take look at their winning percentage now and compare it to their end-of-season winning percentage, if the season ended today, it would be their best winning percentage in 15 years, which is absurd. Uh, both absurd because of how quickly they have improved, but also absurd that they couldn't win 15, it is. 7% of their games <laughs> in any other season. Um, but they're playing real well. They're playing real well.
0: Yeah, that is. I mean... <laughs> What a sad decade and a half it's <laughs> <Yeah. been. laughs>
1: And you can only blame uh, Sam Hankey for three of those years.
0: Yep. The, uh, yeah, they're, they're playing well. I don't really know what to say. I. It's funny that win the other night in Cleveland, while uh, it was significant in the national TV exposure, and you know it was great to see JoJo and LeBron, and it was kind of surreal almost to see. How how much respect LeBron has for both JoJo and uh, and Ben? It, that was cool. It, it didn't surprise me from just like you know, th- I wasn't surprised that they beat the Cavs. I think you know on any given night, like they're they're better than the Cavs. Now you know the the Cavs are sort of a, a separate issue because in the playoffs, LeBron hasn't really shown that he's going going to lose before the finals, and, and I'm not saying that's going to happen again, but. They're just a good team, man. Like, that didn't it feel like, I think Zach Lowe tweeted just, that's just a good team taking care of business yep. uh, on the road. It, it it didn't feel like there was anything fluky about it.
1: No, no. And, I mean, that was a game where they had played, um, you know, it was a real busy stretch between the, the February 24th and, what, March 6th. They'll have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games in a, in a real short span, um, in what, a, a 10-day span, I think and that's dead in the middle of it. You know, they're in the middle of, that would have been, what, the end of a three-game road trip, uh, a spot where they would have had uh, four road games and five games. So a little road-heavy, still still more to come, another four-game road trip coming up. So that that's a spot where they could have been taken advantage of a little bit, where a good team could have jumped them, and you would have gone like, oh, okay, that's LeBron James, taking care of a team that's been playing a lot recently, playing a lot on the road. And for them to pull that one out, I mean... Wire-to-wire win, but also for them to pull away like that at the end. It was really great to see. And even some of these, um, you know, some of these wins, like against the Hornets, yeah, they had to come back against the Hornets. But they executed the shit out of that fourth quarter. Like, that was a real well-played fourth quarter on a back-to-back in a game where most teams would have, you know, you just you typically don't see a team on a back-to-back that traveled that night have that kind of energy to make a fourth quarter run like that. It was, it was real impressive. And even their losses, I mean, look, Miami shot the shit out of the ball. Like, that kind of just happens just, sometimes.
0: Just bullshit Wade shots at the end <laughs> yeah. of that game, which, I mean, like, look, it was cool to see, but it, I think you had the tweet of the night where, in just breaking down the last 20 seconds or so, yeah, the the Sixers get two free throws and a wide-open three for a great shooter, and the Heat get a step-back contested, two, and the Heat won the game.
1: Yep. No, I mean... Expected Sometimes it happens, right? Expected value is the Sixers win that game nine times out of ten, but shit just kind of happens. They've been playing well. They've been playing well. I, really, the only game they didn't play well in was the Wizards game. You kind of say, okay, one game like that's going to happen from time to time. But Outside of that, they're, they're playing well. They're doing it at the, the best possible time. And you're looking at it now and, you, and, and the remaining games, whew. And you hate to say that because this team has lost some really winnable games against some bad competition. But they really, I mean, when we're talking now about, a fourth seed, like, that's not absolutely insane, and it should be.
0: They're one game back of Washington right now. They're even in the lost column with them with two games less played. So, no, it's it's not insane at all. And, yeah, I mean, to get that win in Cleveland, too, after a tough – what was a tough loss in Miami just because of those reasons and because Wade, you know, hit some crazy shots and the Sixers also had some turnover problems in that game – You know, the Sixers team has been streaky this season so far. I I think they've lost three games in a row four times. It sounds right anyway. Uh, So for them to to kind of stop the bleeding and get that win in Cleveland was nice. And, yeah, like you said, against Charlotte, it, it was the same story. At the end of games, their offense is money right now, man. It's I mean, shit, they had Ilyasova executing the hell out of it. He's been here for, what, two days? Yeah. I just checked.
1: They had four losing streaks of four or more. Uh, A three-game to start the season, uh, a four-game in the early parts of December, a five-game in mid-December, and then a three-game in late January. So really, out in 2018, they've been pretty consistent. They've been pretty consistent.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, we always tweet out the stats about – how well their defense has been playing since January 1st, and just how well they're playing since then. Uh, Man, like, look, JoJo's got to stay healthy, obviously. We say that all the time. And, by the way, he has a ridiculous scare every night, it seems like. Now, which, and then he comes out and he he looks fine afterwards. But, like, when he was grabbing his back against the Hornets Uh, the other night?
1: There are two things you never want to see, a right foot and a lower back. Never want to see it from the big man.
0: So that looked terrible, and then he comes back and plays a great fourth quarter, and it doesn't look like he's hurt at all. Apparently, so I, apparently,
1: and I didn't; my view was completely obstructed from where I sit. But apparently, people were saying he got hit on the back, like somebody need him in the back, and it oh. wasn't from the fall. So that that would, you know, I wouldn't be as worried about getting hit in the back as I would if he like landed awkwardly.
0: Okay, yeah, but you know, as long as they still stay healthy, like you said, schedule on the way in, a lot of lottery teams. And you know they have this four-game stretch on the road coming up here. If they can just sort of you know just just hold the fort these next couple games, I, I mean, what was their over/under for the season? It was forty-two and a half. Is that it? I think we both took the under. Whoops. We took the under, and and I think you know <laughs> barring a catastrophic injury to maybe two people, I, I think there's no way they go under that. So. I mean, you know, as much as we talk about the off-court stuff and faults and all this, you know, all, all of the crazy stuff that this team, this franchise can't escape, they're playing really good ball. And, you know, yeah, Brett Brown, he, he's got these guys playing well. And, uh, I like, look, I, I would be, you know, I'll say it. I would be surprised if they're not at least the five seed with the way they're playing right now. Wouldn't yeah. be... I, I don't want to say I'd be stunned. You know, weird shit can happen. Maybe Giannis catches fire for a couple of weeks or something like that. But, like, I, I would favor them to at least get a five seed at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, they're obviously up in Milwaukee tonight. Uh, Milwaukee's struggling uh, quite a bit of late. I think they lost five of the last six. Uh, they could always turn that around, like you said. But at, once they get past this four-game road trip, which is Milwaukee, Charlotte, Miami, Brooklyn, not not exactly murderers row here. 11 or their last 17 is at home, and they haven't. Last time they lost at home was like December 20 something, which is again absurd. Uh, they did lose technically a home game in London, but the last last loss to the Wells Fargo Center. It's been a long time. I think I think 13 in a row is what they're at right now.
0: December 21st, I believe. There you go. The last time they I, lost, I think yeah. the Raptors, right? Yep.
1: Um, really favorable, really favorable. And again, they have to stay healthy. They have to continue playing well. It looks like maybe now they have some bench depth that Brett Brown can rely upon. Um, maybe get a, a, a rotation set, a bench rotation set that he's comfortable with heading into this last leg of the season. But they should, uh, you know, they should they should be able to. Uh, like you said, if they don't make the fifth seed at least, and that would be huge because those top three seeds, you know, you've got Boston who's struggling a little bit right now. Uh, I think their offense is starting to catch up to them a bit, but they still have a really good defense the raptors who people are really sleeping on probably because of their past playoff performance but they're they're a really good team and then the cavs and look as much as we're going to debate how much these trades and these roster moves impacted what the cavs do the rest of the season really it comes down to how much lebron gives a shit and how motivated he is and how not motivated but engaged he is and uh, if he is still in a playoff atmosphere i still expect him to be a completely unstoppable force and i wouldn't wouldn't want to see him in the first round so uh, getting up to that four or five spot would be huge for them. I guess real quick, just to get you on the record, would you sign LeBron James to a max contract?
0: I would. Okay. Controversial, I know. <laughs>
1: me too, me too. But I just wanted to get that on the record since there is another Sixers podcast, the same one that didn't want the team to draft Joel Embiid back in 2014, who now doesn't want them to sign LeBron James if they can't. So if Embiid and LeBron ever you know lead the Sixers to a championship and this other podcast wants to have another, you know, we were right party to celebrate themselves, which which they're very good at doing, uh, our listeners, listeners of this podcast will know that we were on the right side of history with our Embiid and LeBron takes. But they were right. No. Good job, buddy. Pat yourself on the back. <laughs> uh,
0: no comment. Uh, so <laughs> wait. And by the way, just a quick point looking at the Sixers schedule and – you know, all of these teams that are going to be absolutely just just tanking their asses off down the stretch. I see Memphis here. I see Orlando. Atlanta, Atlanta a couple of times. Uh, I'm sure the Knicks are going to be pretty bad down the stretch here. It's going to bother me, the media coverage of this tanking race. Uh, I, it's already started where you know you get these national people oh man this is hilarious look at all these teams and look at them folding just down the stretch here to get to get picks or whatever Th- that's going to bother me i'm just going to put that out there uh considering that the same people when uh when the sixers were losing games in similar fashion they they were not uh not too kind to them so I, i'm just i'm firing a preemptive shot across the uh, the bow of the collective nba media here i ugh, this, this is already going to bother me. But, you know, for the Sixers standpoint, there's going to be some really easy wins.
1: Did you uh, did you start. see the guy in Boston? Or uh, the guy in Chicago? No. There was a, a process debate going on the other day. Um, if you're still in 2018 debating whether or not the Sixers culture was compromised, then you're finding evidence to fit your narrative.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> You know, I, I don't want to get too into that, but I, I think I know who you're talking about now. I, I just don't like when it turns into you're saying it's not going to work for a few years, and now that there is some evidence that it really could have worked, uh, now it turns into oh, well, anybody could have done that.
1: Right,
0: right. It's not um, what we were talking about back then.
1: No, no, it wasn't. And by the way, if 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 you ask people who really study the draft, a three-year window does not guarantee you getting a franchise player. Like you've got to play the margins and ways that. Work out like, oh, like the Sixers could have won 50 games last year and still gotten Mark Hill Fultz. Like, you've got to, you've got to play the margin. And the Sixers did that, did that expertly. But I, I assume most people listening to this podcast probably agree with that sentiment anyway. So let's go ahead and shift to rating what's going on so far with the current general manager. And I Now think, let's
0: wait, wait. Can we talk about faulty for a little oh, bit? Oh, yeah.
1: Of course. Of course. Go for it. Uh,
0: just, you know, just to give an update, it's, it's obviously not anything concrete, but. All we have are these videos, you know, and we, we've been over that for a while. Uh, his videos, the last couple of weeks, I like, look, I don't want to say anything definitive, and I don't want to say he's all the way back, and, you know, his shot is fine, and we'll, we'll see him playing soon. But it's been, is it fair to say it's been a little bit encouraging, the, these videos the past couple of weeks? Like, at yeah. least something to monitor? Like, since, okay. I, I would
1: say I, since about, like, like, a week before the all-star break to now it's been trending in the right direction for sure.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's, uh, I think it was Keith who tweeted these out, these, uh, on the road, some of these, uh, sort of step back jumpers and flow. spin moves.
1: Oh, I was just adding like a step back jumper flow. Oh my <laughs> God. <Keith says>. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I couldn't hear what you're saying. Uh, yeah, and that during the uh, the calm before the storm, uh, th- those shots. Uh, <laughs>
1: Seven hours and 13 minutes before the Sixers play the Bucks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love those tweets from Keith. Uh, yeah, so, you know, look, it's just been a couple jumpers, but, you know, the other day I think the Liberty Ballers account tweeted a video of Fultz actually shooting an NBA 3, and it didn't look awful.
1: Yeah, so I guess full attribution, it was Eric Sidewater um sixer science on twitter and i guess what i'll say is there was no hitch and i think that's yeah. the biggest thing i took for him and look release point was still super low he shot before he got anywhere near the apex of his jump there are things we can sit here and nitpick about but the actual motion was fluid there was no i mean there have been times during this process where it looked like there was a, an almost virtual wall Preventing his motion from going that he had to fight through. I mean, the hitch was that bad. This did not have a hitch. So when you're talking about that range, he can get it from that distance without a hitch. Even though there's still a, a, a quite a bit of work to be done before that's game ready, it's, to me, still progress. And I, I got a little flat because I tweeted out, like, this is the best three-point shot we've seen from Markel since July. Which didn't mean that it was perfect, that there weren't these things that we just talked about that you could nitpick, and that it's game ready. It just means the only other threes threes we've seen from Markel since July were in early January, and those looked like absolute dog shit, so it seems like there have there's been some significant progress made over the last two months since, which is all I was trying to convey,
0: yep, and you know with this subject, if you tweet any sort of opinion, you're going to get a strong blowback from either side of it. Oh, for sure. Where, where in this case, when you say, "Oh, this looks way better than anything I've ever seen," a lot of the responses are going to be, "Well, it still isn't good," and that's not what you were saying. Right. You were just saying it looks like <laughs> it looks like he's made some improvements over the past couple weeks, and that's what I'll say. So ho- hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll continue to uh, dissect these like this is a Pruder film, but I, I think, you know, just from our amateur uh, viewings of these shots, it it looks like he's making a little bit of progress, which is good to see.
1: And I guess the other thing I'll say, because we're seeing, we've, we've seen a lot of uh, turnarounds um, and some pull-ups off the dribble. And these are now g- being extended to, I would say, maybe 17-foot range. And the biggest takeaway I have, first of all, they're out to 17 feet. But also they've been far more consistent. Like, we just haven't seen as many absolutely terrible attempts that we used to see back in, in mid-January-ish. And that, to me, is once again progress. And doesn't mean he's ready. I still kind of doubt whether or not he is going to play again this year. Like, I think we're getting to that point where it just makes more sense from a team perspective to go with the bench unit that you have and not try to make, you know, reintegrate a very young 19 year old who hasn't really played organized basketball in over a year back into your lineup. Um, but uh, as long as there's progress being made, I'm happy. I'm happy right now. And that might not be the highest bar to clear, but, um, it does seem like there's actual progress being made, which is good.
0: Cool.
1: All right. Uh, So you kind of thought this was a good time to do this, and I agree with you. And I think part of it is because there's a lot of attention right now being paid to, well, why in the bleepity bleep 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 did you you give up a second round pick for Trevor Booker only to cut him two months later? And by the way, totally fair assessment of what happened. Uh, They ended up getting more valuable, valuable players who fit their needs and their roster better simply by waiting for the buyout market than they got by giving up a, a pretty good second-round pick, and I think it's the Knicks' 2019 second-round pick for Trevor Booker, who never fit the personnel. That's, a t- to me, I think a, a pretty clear mistake. But when rating the job that the front office has done, I think you kind of have to keep in perspective how some of the decisions will be worth much more of the final grade than others, that some of the, the decisions will end up defining the front office's tenure, whereas others will not. And I think it's a good time to step back and really take a look at the whole picture in that light.
0: Yeah, and, and real quick on Booker, and obviously this is not going to be a move that we're going to look back five years from now that defines this front office. No. But uh, it's like you said, it's it's not great that they gave up a second-round pick for a guy that they cut two months later. It's It's bad. But I will give them credit for saying, all right, let's not compound this mistake. Let's not cut a player that should be on the roster over Booker because he was the, the logical guy to go for financial reasons and for personnel reasons. He, he is the guy that had to go. For them not to compound that mistake and say, well, we, we traded a second-round pick, so we got to keep him, uh, they do deserve some credit for that.
1: Yeah, yep, yeah. and uh, that is at least a mindset that you're glad the uh – The front office has. All right. Real quick before we get into grading Colangelo, a word from our sponsor. Do you hate wasting time? I do. So I try to find more efficient ways to get my regular tasks accomplished. One of those tasks is sending out mail and packages. Did you know that you can get postage on demand with stamps.com? You can. With stamps.com, you can print real U.S. postage for any letter or any package right from your home or office. All available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, when it's convenient for you. Stamps.com will even send you a digital scale so you can weigh your letters and packages and print the exact amount and postage every time. And it's so easy to use, it'll have you up and running in seconds. You can access all the services of the post office right from your desk. It's never been easier to send out your letters and packages. Over the past year, I've had to send out a lot of merchandise, from t-shirts to ticket giveaways and regular old mail, and Stamps.com has helped make that process easier and less time-consuming than ever, turning a chore into something that's barely even a blip on my radar screen. Best of all, I've worked out a special offer with Stamps.com for our listeners. That includes a four-week trial, plus postage, and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BEAT. That's Stamps.com, enter B-E-A-T. Okay, so on to Grady Calangelo. So I guess first we have to start off by defining what's the most important move that they've made. And I think clearly what's the most important so far is the Markel Fultz trade. Or at least the most consequential decision they've made so far, which wasn't a slam dunk at the time. And giving up the number three pick in the draft last year, and now with how well the Lakers are playing, and what's likely to end up being the Kings' 2019 top one protected pick that they're going to have to give up, and, oh, by the way, the Sacramento Kings are still run by a questionable front office with a crazy owner, and they still kind of suck. So it's, it's going to be a very good pick next year in all likelihood. You know, that move more than anything, I, I don't want to say it's what will define this front office, because if they go out this summer and they sign LeBron or they sign Paul George or they make a trade for Kawhi or, or something like that, that transaction could, have, could end up defining this front office. But of the moves that have already been made by this group, that the the Markil Folch trade is the move that has the highest chance of drastically changing the course of this team. Uh the move they've made which has the most
0: consequence so far. It probably outweighs the next 6 moves. Just by itself. Not it's,
1: counting I mean the drafting of Simmons can have that kind of an impact, but that sure. was I I've always described it as you only get so many points for signing your name on the SAT. Like it was so yep. obvious that <laughs> Me, you, even Max—I think—eventually came around on Simmons. Like everybody said, that's the best prospect in the draft. You were handed that number one pick. Um, all you had to do was select the right guy. And by the way, I mean, maybe the ball was put on a tee and they hit it. Which good job. I mean, you you do get some credit for making the right decision, even if it was pretty obvious. But that's why I'm saying the, the Fultz trade is is. Yeah, I'm not necessarily counting the Simmons drafting like that. I guess.
0: Yeah. Real. Qu- it's been a. Uh... What do you think about you know, this noise that Brandon Ingram is going to be better than Simmons in a few years? Stop,
1: stop. And by the way, I like Brandon. I, I, I think I remember at leading up to that draft, which somebody said I, I had I had Twitter back and forth, where somebody tried to say that I had, uh, I had Dragon Bender over Brandon Ingram, which that never happened. I like Jock no. Bender. I didn't like him that much. I always had Brandon Ingram was number two on my board all year that season. And I think at one point leading up to the draft, I said I would trade the Lakers pick for Brandon Ingram. And I think I I took some heat for that. I like Brandon Ingram a lot. I liked him before the draft. I liked the progress he's made this year. Ben Simmons is a better player. He's a better defender. He's obviously the better shot creator and distributor. He's a better rebounder. And he's there's just a, a physical element to him that if he even gets anything resembling a jump shot, he's going to be He's going to be a real problem. He's going to be a real problem.
0: And look, I I get the idea that Ingram has a better looking jump shot, even if it really hasn't gone in all that much in his career early on. And I know he's playing a lot better recently and is a year younger than Simmons and can develop, you know, in terms of putting on weight. It just drives me crazy that he gets the benefit of the the doubt when it comes to projecting his skill set ahead and Simmons it's like he's this finished product at 21 years old. Yeah. That, and that, I get it. Like and look, Simmons' jump shot is really concerning to me. He very well could be shooting with the wrong hand. But he still has <laughs> I mean, he that still That sounds ridiculous the game. every
1: time we say it, but it's not wrong.
0: But he still affects the game in so many more ways than Ingram. And Ingram has a lot of catching up to do to get to where Simmons is now. That, I guess that's my only point. I, I think it's a little strange that that narrative got a little bit of buzz over the past week.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think maybe part of the reason is that when you look at Simmons, maybe you say, okay, well, the, his biggest weakness in shooting is also maybe one that you don't have a whole lot of confidence he's going to correct. So the likelihood of him improving drastically isn't as high as, as Ingram, which I understand logically, even though I don't entirely agree. Like, I think there's so much better Simmons can get in drawing contact and his touch around the rim that would make him so much better as a as an individual scorer and even as a 15 a foot shooter even if I don't see that three point range being necessarily likely I do think he can improve as a 15 foot shooter so I think there's a lot that Simmons can improve and I think people undersell how much there is but that one weakness is so glaring and it is legitimate to ask whether or not he's ever going to fix it completely that I, I do get a little bit of that but look going back to it Ingram's playing real well like since yeah. since uh, January first, sixteen point three points per game, five point three rebounds, four point six assists, which I think is maybe the most intriguing number of those. Shooting fifty percent from the field and forty four percent from three. Those are incredible numbers. Like they're they're really for a, a twenty year old. Is he even twenty yet? I don't even know. For a real young player, those are real good numbers, no doubt. Simmons just I I I, just, I take Simmons whole package. I think Simmons right now, and this is probably something where. Um, It might not be obvious, especially if you're not watching both teams a lot. I think Simmons is two or three steps ahead of Ingram as a defensive player. And for Ingram, this is something we said when he was back at Duke, but for somebody with his length and size and quickness, I don't think he's as good of a defender as people make him out to be. And right now I think Simmons has been far and away better than any of us expected defensively, and there's a pretty sizable gap between those two, especially when you want to have a switching scheme like the Sixers do. I I think Simmons has more upside. I think he's a better player now. But I also, like, I don't completely mind that people are getting really excited about Brandon Ingram. There's still just a weird contingent out there who thinks Simmons is a stat-stuffing, non-winning player. And that's the aspect I don't get more than any optimism around Ingram.
0: Yeah, I I guess that's what bothers me. The the projection, using Ingram being better than Simmons as... There potentially is some sort of knock against Ben's, you know, as this finished prospect who, yeah, just just racks up assists but doesn't help the team. It's the same thing with the the idea. I always hear about Donovan Mitchell carrying a team to the playoffs yeah. and winning games. It's like Simmons' team is better, right? What, what's going on here? I, I know Embiid is the driving force of that, but come on. All right, sorry, sorry for that uh that tangent there. But, uh, yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. In terms of drafting Simmons, that was a very straightforward decision. Uh, there was some debate, debate about Ingram at the time, but, you know, I it, that was still pretty easy. Fultz, though, it, that's the important decision he's made right now. By a, That's the most important if, if we're take, getting rid of Simmons. And, I mean, we don't know. And, obviously, this first year has been – Pretty close to an unmitigated disaster on that front. It's, I, it's unprecedented what has happened to Fultz. But I'm not going to pretend to know what's going to happen to this guy in the next few years. If he if he gets back on track and, and becomes the player that a lot of us thought he could be, then it, it's a home run pick. And at the time, we were all very in favor of that decision. Right behind um, it, yep. yep. Yeah. So, you know... On the one hand, I, I do kind of sympathize with Colangelo in terms of grading him for this deal because what has happened to Fultz, I, I don't know how much of that you can account for.
1: No, that was that was that was not noble.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I mean you, that. Yep. you had your report where you know people around the league are whispering about his shot being changed. Still, so I I understand that there might have been some signs, but. It's hard to kill him for that. That said, he's going to have to eat it. Like, th- this is this and, is his and, pick.
1: And here's what I'll say about that, too. Nobody that I talked to around the league who saw Fultz before the draft thought the shot was going to be a long-term concern. Like, you could see the changes in the shot, but, but nobody really expected them to linger the way that they have. I mean, nobody. It, it's really been remarkable.
0: Yeah. So I, I guess to, to sum all of that up, the way I'd put it is, When we talk about the job Brian Colangelo has done as the Sixers GM, not focusing on anything other than the Fultz pick is a little bit of a waste of time, I'd say. I I, I think this is far and away. And look, we're going to talk about all the other stuff he did. But you, you have to keep in context. Like, this is the most important thing he did by a mile. Yeah,
1: and maybe that changes when they use the cap space. Uh, because the cap space is a one-time only kind of thing, and you have the chance of either really getting an impact player, and or really, um, you know, hamstringing yourself for quite a while. So I think these decisions coming up this summer potentially could end up being just as important, maybe not for the next decade, but certainly for the next three or four years. But I do agree with you that you can't grade it. And I was behind the trade at the time. I understood the risk of it. I understood that. Trading two picks, two high picks, was pretty uh, pretty much the antithesis of the process. Uh, I do think it's not quite that easy, and you know people always say, "Would Sam have done this?" I don't know whether Sam would have done this because a lot of that hinges on their evaluation of Markel Fultz. Like, do I think they would have traded two lottery picks for Carl Anthony Towns in a heartbeat without even thinking about it? So it it very much comes, and I I, I don't think anybody had. Fultz rated as a prospect as high as Towns, but I'm just saying there's, you know, it's not just two picks for one. There's a lot of nuance in there, and I yeah. do think they placed a lot of I, emphasis on the the number one pick too.
0: I hate that question. Would Sam have done it? You just don't know. You just you don't
1: know. He he it, didn't he didn't live by these hard and fast rules like two picks yeah. for one. No, like a lot of it came down to the situation for sure.
0: The way that's framed as a philosophical question, would he have done it? Well, it. Well, it depends on what he thought about faults. Right, right, very much that's so. A, that's yep. an evaluation question.
1: Yep, uh, certainly. And, I mean, the, anyway, we, we could go on about that. There's uh, the both sides. You know, I, I remember at the time Howard Eskin said, oh, well, people told me Sam would have never done this. And he tried to use it as a, you know, as a negative towards Sam. And now people, are all, process trusts are like, oh, Sam would never have done this trade as as, as something to, to defend Sam and, and, and to bury colangelo and i think both of them are kind of misguided it really depends on what how sam would have evaluated the top prospect in the draft and the 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 gap between him and 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 who would have been there
0: so He he was watching him that's for sure
1: oh he was definitely watching him he was definitely watching him um so yeah it's tough to really grade i will say right now knowing what we know now you know i back in january i believe it was on this podcast i said i think if put a gun to my head, I think Markell finds his jump shot again. Like, the fact that he could do it once, I think he's going to end up doing it again. And that was at probably the darkest point in the timeline. So I think over these last two months, where it seems like he's recovered quite a bit of that jump shot, I think uh, like you have to be a little more encouraged even than that point. So I think, I don't know if the trade's going to end up working out. Like, Jason Tatum struggled of late. We have to see where that, that Kings pick lands. It could end up being a lot to give up. It could end up being that Markel Fultz is the, the perfect third option on this team. But I think there's a little more optimism now than there there would have been two months ago. But we still really just don't know until we see him playing an NBA game with confidence in his jump shot. And we haven't seen that yet.
0: Totally agree. The, uh, the most important grade of Colangelo's tenure so far, it's an incomplete. We don't know.
1: I will say, it's it's an incomplete, but it is, I mean, it it is a risky decision. And maybe we undersold that risk when it happens. I don't think any of us would have have thought he would have came to camp unable to shoot and lost an entire year because of that. But there's, it just goes to show you that even guys you think might be safe prospects, safety doesn't exist for a million different reasons, including ones like this that have never happened before in the history of the sport. Yeah. All right, so drafting Simmons, I mean, he, he got the... He got the easy decision right which
0: we'll give I mean, him a we'll give him a pass on that pass fail
1: yeah pass. yeah it's a, it's a pass fail he he passed it um and look I don't want to under I mean I, I've probably spent the entire time right now underselling it like it's it's really important he got that right and considering he was on the job for what maybe two months at that point um it, it's it's really it's crucial that he did get that right so I mean good job like a legitimate good job it wasn't the toughest decision, but he he got it right.
0: Wait, we're not giving him credit for winning the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, moving on. Um, next <laughs> most important decision. What would you say? Like extending Embiid is the one that has the most significance, but it's also the one that they negotiated the least out of. And I will say, like, getting basically career-ending protection in there is something. But it's also, like, God, I hope that never becomes relevant, first of all. And also, it wasn't the biggest concession in the world. Like, it, I think when we usually think of non-guaranteed portions, like it would have been based on games played or minutes or something like that, in this instance, it pretty much has to be a career-ending injury, which isn't – I mean, to, to give Embiid a max contract, it's not the biggest concession possible.
0: No. Uh, that I would agree that's the next biggest move, uh, and it is risky. Uh uh, to give him some credit negotiating uh w- what were the uh parameters for uh the uh the MA- the Supermax contract uh
1: the, the possible parameters are one in in this this contract
0: what the the ones that are that he negotiated were MVP and, and first, first team and first team
1: all NBA yep
0: kind of quietly getting defensive player of the year out of there yep. could save the six or $5 million a year.
1: And even second or third team, that's not frequently done. So I, you are right. Getting those, that's probably going to end up being more relevant than the max protections that were discussed at the time. Like, I think we all focused on the max protections. I think this ends up the super max negotiation ends up being the more relevant one.
0: I mean, I, We'll see how the voters, uh, I have no idea how they'll decide, but in, in terms of the the normal defensive player of the year guys, the guys who have the, the reputation, Kawhi's out, he's having, you know, he, he basically hasn't played this year. Draymond, I, you know, the Warriors defense was bad for a few months there, I, I'm not sure he would, would get it, Gobert has missed a ton of time. I, I think Embiid has a really good chance to win Defensive Player of the Year.
1: I mean, Gobert can't win it. He's only played 37 games.
0: Yeah. So.
1: I mean, if, if like, Embiid can't beat out Mal- Malcolm Brogdon because the game's played missed, then uh, Gobert shouldn't be able to beat out Embiid. Yeah, no, I think he's got a real chance at Defensive Player of the Year for all the reasons you just stated. I think his, his biggest challenge is still probably going to end up being, being Draymond. Um, there's just a reputation there. And, I mean, he is still a fantastic defender that uh, – I think that's going to end up being his biggest challenge, but quite frankly, I think Embiid's deserving this year.
0: Yeah. So, you know, good job on that. But yeah, I mean, it's still a really risky contract. I I don't want to, uh, to under, undersell that because again, we talked about just, God, I mean, Embiid, he falls down once every game that makes you hold your breath. Uh, And, to uh, w- what were the exact protections on it again in terms of injuries? It's oh, I don't remember. I think it was complicated as fuck. Uh, yeah. Uh, it had to do with uh, weren't there like specific areas that uh that he couldn't injure?
1: Oh, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was the foot. I'm sure it was a foot.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, look, look. I mean, I remember when you wrote the breakdown for that. I, I remember just thinking, wow, that's the amount of uh, of nuance that goes into reading into this extension, it's just it, it's hard to tell. But like if if he breaks his foot again, they're kind of screwed, right? <laughs> yeah, but he,
1: here's what I'll say: with the way he's played, the only real risk now is if he breaks his foot over the remainder of the season. Because with the way he's played, he was getting max contract this summer, like period, end of story. So your options were keep Embiid at a max contract. Or don't. Like there was no, there was no, there was no world where after what he's shown this year, he was going to walk away with anything other than a max contract. Yeah. So getting him that early, it's not really. I, I always said the risk isn't. The risk was only this year. If he gets hurt next year, then this isn't. I mean, it's it's a risky contract, but it wasn't risky to sign him to an extension early. Um. In fact, it was probably less risky because after this season, you probably don't get those career-ending provisions. That you got back then, and if he qualifies, you know, let's say he he qualifies for a supermax, you might end up having to give him that too. So I don't, uh, you know, I, at this point, I don't think it's necessarily all that risky. I think the the, the supermax walk down that you got was worthwhile. I think the uh, career ending was worthwhile, and I think at this point he showed enough where he's getting a max in free agency anyway. And I don't think any of us talking on this podcast or listening to this podcast would have been okay with them turning down a max next summer. So I have to I have to say this uh this deal was a win.
0: Yep, and I mean you know when I talk about the risk, this guy's a risky player, yep. but he's your guy.
1: Yeah, he has to be your guy. You don't you 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 don't justify the process like we did and the rebuild like we did solely based on getting a top five player who can attract other stars and then turn down a top five player you know when he turns into a top five player like it's just not an option. All right.
0: At the, yeah, I mean at this point. The, the Sixers just have to roll with jo- JoJo's strengths and weaknesses. I mean, that talent level, we talk about it all the time. He, he wows us every night. That's part of it. But the other part is, you know, his, his injury history is pretty concerning. And, I mean, I think everybody knows by this point where we stand on that. We'll we'll roll with that and take the risks and, you know, hope it all works out. But I to, to give up that level of talent, you, you just can't do it.
1: No, you can't. Absolutely not. All right, next move extending Covington. Uh, I think I still think I still think this is a a, a pretty big win to get him on a. I think it, his his contract next summer is ten point four. Uh, to get him on that contract, even as a streaky shooter, with that kind of defender, that kind of versatility, and what he can bring to you when he is making shots, like I think I think he's going to be. If you need to, I think you can move him. Uh, I don't think it's, he's going to have negative value, and locking him into that deal allows you to realistically go out and clear max cap space next summer.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think they did a really nice job on this. I like look, Cove shooting has been poor for what three months now. Yeah, but the guy still gives you max effort on the defensive end, and when when he is locked in. He's one of the best three and D guys in the league, and it was good to see him uh, him get on track a little bit the other night against the Hornets. The Sixers are going to need that in in the playoffs. They're, you know, in terms of like what can raise their ceiling against some of the best teams in the East, it's him making shots. Uh, so yeah, I mean, what what uh, he's at what ten million basically for the next four years after this. Yep, it's just like again, he didn't he didn't acquire him, he didn't find Covington. But from when he inherited him, I, I think this is a, a pretty big win.
1: Yeah, so and again, t- it's it's not quite it, – well, it's not nearly as obvious as drafting Simmons or as consequential. But it's, it's not as obvious as drafting Simmons. Like a lot of us speculated beforehand, dating back to last spring, that this is what they should do. Um, but still, they, they ended up they, – they resisted the urge to go out and spend that money in free agency to maybe get a little more depth for a playoff run this year and instead earmarked that for a guy that they, they have pegged as a long-term contributor on the team, got him below market value. And because of that now have some flexibility this upcoming summer. I think it's a, it, it's a pretty easy win, even if it was again, something that a lot of us saw coming.
0: Yep. Used uh you know, was given that level of cap space and preserved the level of cap space over the, the previous summer. And, I mean the the renegotiating extend like look this was something that a lot of us saw coming down the pike when did you write about this in early in the summer
1: Oh I think I think the first time I wrote about it was back in March
0: Yeah so but look he, he got it done he he clearly knew the market and knew what Rocco and his agent were going to be willing to accept and yeah I mean in in terms of Rocco too that is you know if if they were in need of clearing salary cap space too I look at it as a very tradable contract, as well. So, I, I think that's a pretty big win. It's it's good to have, uh, Covington and locked up at that number.
1: Yeah, and I've I've seen some people say like, oh, they got, you know, they bought into his early season success, shooting the ball. Like, no, there's they a were reason. doing that anyway. <laughs> there, there, there's a reason they stopped where they stopped in free agency and didn't spend a dime after the middle of Ju- of July. Like this was this was on the, uh, this was on the, the pipeline for a long time, a long time. Um, had nothing to do with his early season shooting. If anything, it probably just made Leon Rose, his agent, a little a uh, little annoyed at that early season success. But no, nothing to do with it. So, so we're I, uh, I we're guess, giving pretty high marks to
0: Colangelo so well, far. Looking
1: back, and this is I think kind of the point that we wanted to reiterate on this podcast. We've gone through three transactions or four transactions. Three of them wins, and one of them an incomplete. And those still are at, that overall grade is still an incomplete. Because that Fultz trade carries so much of that final score. Yep. All right. So to me, there's really three more moves that have any real consequence to them. Then we start really nitpicking, including the Booker trade, which as frustrating as it is to give up that pick is a nitpick. The Bayless signing, which we can probably do this one real quick. Huge loss. Like just a complete mistake.
0: Yeah. And, again, it carries less long-term consequence as as the moves we talked about. It just didn't make any sense at the time. But it also
1: carries more long-term consequence than stuff like the Amir signing, the Booker trade, like some of these other moves that were bad, but we don't really care about as much because they're one-year deals.
0: Yeah, and and when you look at Amir and JJ and last year uh, Henderson and Rodriguez, you know, a a lot of people – who are critical of colangelo i hear well he hasn't made any value signings and while i agree with that like in terms of the the hinky special and the contract that covington and mcconnell are on uh while i agree with that the value in what colangelo has done is that he has used his short-term cap space and kept these contracts at one year that's the value. Is is signing? Again, these guys are not uh, world beaters by any means. Like like, if we just l- run through them real quick, uh, El Chacho wasn't very good. Henderson, I think that was a pretty good signing. Uh, That's fine for. Yeah, for for that money. Uh, Redick, like, look, he he paid a premium, but a- as we saw the other night in Cleveland, uh, the fit there is just it, it's really good, and to keep it to one year.
1: And uh, even,
0: even if even if he misses the uh, the twenty three million dollar jump shot <laughs> in Miami a few days ago, I, I I think I have been overall pretty pleased with the JJ Reddick ex, uh, experience. And I mean Amir, uh, you know I, I could take it or leave it, but I, I do think Amir, you, you know he he does provide some value uh, in terms of playing backup center and in terms of you know. You know, playing in the lo- and being in the locker room. I, I don't think that's a great signing by any by any means. But again, it's a one year deal. Bayless, three years. Come on, It's just. I mean, at the time, what did we say? He signed a three years, twenty seven million. I believe that's yep. what it was. I think literally at the time we said, why couldn't this be two years, twenty seven million? Yep, it would have been much better. It
1: higher annual value, fine. I don't I don't give one bleep about that. But to have that now hanging over, hang over you as you go in there, and you know I always say, look like, what they're maybe at um, twenty three million in cap space. Just guessing that eight million, whew, that's a big deal. That's big. yeah, you can stretch them. You're still going to end up having like a a nearly three million dollar cap hit for the next three years, which is not great. It's not as bad as eight million this year, but it's, it's still not great. And that was all completely avoidable. And you know, Colangelo always said we need to have that one signing to make – we have to over overpay – I don't know if he said this, but it was pretty clear. We have to overpay to make us legitimate, to, to make us a legitimate destination. No, you didn't. Because J.J. Reddick came and he signed the following summer without, what, three games played by Jared Bayless, like there was no reason that that had to be a three-year deal. It was It was just insanely frustrating for a guy who, A, wasn't that good. B, is now completely out of the rotation and C is going to end up hurting your cap space in a very, very pivotal uh, free agency this summer. Just huge miscalculation. You, what ended up making you a relevant free if LeBron James or, or Paul George ends up signing with the Sixers or if Kawhi Leonard ends up agreeing to a trade with the Sixers, it's not going to be because you signed Jared Bayless in the summer of 2016, buddy. It's going to be because Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons made you relevant, and that was always going to be the case. It was always a misguided signing because of that. If you want to say uh, Bayless fit with, with Simmons, fine. Give him like you said two years, twenty-seven, not three years, twenty-seven.
0: Yep. Process behind that deal was j- just off, and then the results. Bayless is through injury and play has been disappointing. It's uh, that one's a bummer.
1: Yep. But like you said, the the remainder of those one-year deals, Reddick, I think has been a good signing. People get caught up in the twenty-three million dollar number. Doesn't matter like 1 year 23 million is so much better than 2 years at 18 million per. The annual value of that contract was never an issue. Never should have been an issue, get over it. Uh a like you said, take her to leave it too much money, but I do think he can contribute and now what we very much expect to be a playoff at least appearance, if not a run, and a run at this point, and by run I mean winning a round, not like a a real run, not like a conference final run, but he could be a, a legitimate uh contributor in that and that's important. And you know, yeah. Henderson and and Rodriguez. Like, look, Sergio was not great last season. Uh, not great at all. But again, you you do have you do get a little bit of a curve because you're signing guys to one year deals. They don't missing on those. Don't bother me at all.
0: No. And p- points on creativity because that the the point guard market had pretty much dried up last year too. So yeah, and he was entertaining for a time. Yeah, but but not not a good player. But yeah, again. Not consequential at all in the long run.
1: Nope. All right. So here are the other two. Really so far, we've got one questionable slash incomplete in the Fultz trade. One negative in the Bayless trade. These are the two that I think get a lot of people. And they do have some consequence. And that's the Okafor trade and the Noel trade. And I don't even want to call it an Okafor trade because Okafor was – pretty much only salary matching in that deal uh it was really a second for booker so i'm just gonna say holding on to noel and okafor coming into the 2016 season that's really what i'm talking about and that was a disastrous decision disastrous
0: oh my god remember remember when he made the point to uh at the beginning of training camp oh we actually have Rashawn holmes too don't sleep on him and i can't get off the bench Man, you're accentuating how ridiculous this situation is. Uh, Yeah, he – like, look, again, I I don't pretend to know exactly what offers were were on the table for both of these guys uh, as soon as – but, uh, you know, like, look. They're two former top six picks, and in both cases, for Okafor, I mean, he used them as salary matching, as you said, and Noel, he got – a fake first round pick for him, and like look i I don't believe there was a Godfather offer for either of those guys in that uh, that first summer he took over, but it's pretty clear he could have gotten something better than what what eventually happened uh, and I mean like look, look, it, it would have been bold to uh to just completely dive into a new job and realize, hey Julia Locofort, that's that's a ticking time bomb. Uh, maybe we can get. I, I don't know exactly what they could have gotten to value, but he needed to realize right away. This guy hurts you actively <laughs> when he's on the floor. What What was the uh, the tweet the other day? Uh, on uh, on cleaning the glass. He is. At, uh, the Nets are like a
1: two and eighty two team when he's on the court.
0: Yeah, two and eighty team, which is amazing. I, I, don't it doesn't,
1: really, I don't think it surprises all that many people on listening to this podcast. Uh, yeah. Uh,
0: he needed to realize that and yep. try to you know, I think like you said, uh, you know, we, we've talked about this. There were still people around the league and you know, uh, again, teams are smart. They understand they understood Ja's weaknesses, but there was still a level of intrigue with this guy as a, as a big guy who could score and I mean, look, they didn't get anything of value for them. And, they, again, with, with Hickey, you know, we saw with MCW coming into Philly the other night. I mean, that guy, what do you think? MCW is going to be out of the league pretty soon? Yeah, yep. And, and I mean, like, look, if you want to discredit the pick a little bit, that's fine. But his ability to gauge the value of his own players and realize, okay, we, we need to pivot here. And look long term, not because I'm trying to kick the can down the road, but because this is what the best thing is for our franchise. You know, Colangelo in that in that department maybe on a smaller scale because maybe the offers weren't weren't there for Okafor. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure he he wouldn't have been able to get a pick as valuable as the the Lakers uh, draft pick that got sent for MCW. He he just had to realize that sooner, and it, it took forever, and both processes were just completely drawn out there was Nerland complaining about playing time you know pretty pointedly last December there was Ja just he was fed up uh, you know in training camp this year it just it, these two were definite losses
1: yeah and i think there's two two key points here first of all people will say well, look at look at how oakford's playing look at how noel's not playing clearly like why would you think they could get value for them well this is this is this is pointless going back to the mcw thing what he's worth now has nothing it's all about opportunity cost and no there wasn't an mcw type trade out there i don't believe that but i do know from talking to people that there was real legitimate you know when he inherited this team in was it april 2016 yeah. may some, april, somewhere in there.
0: april 2016
1: okay when he inherited this team in april 2016 there was interest around a league in both of these guys and new Orleans interest was a little wider like there were more teams interested in new Orleans, but they weren't quite willing to pay as much whereas okafor's interest was a little centralized but the teams who liked him still really liked him and there was interest in there and again another thing this isn't hindsight like you can go back and listen to the podcast we did after that lottery in may 2016 where we said look you can't go into it with these four big men and also ben simmons like you can you just cannot go into the season with this kind of depth and glut at the center position, you're going to lose value because you can't put these guys in a spot where they can all succeed, or at least succeed relatively in Oak case. So it was clear to us at that well, first of all, it was clear to us that Oak 4 was a depreciating asset. Like we were very anti jaw at that time. And it was also clear to us that you can't have this these four players fit in a way that's going to help them improve their trade value. And it was clear some of them were going to get upset about playing time. Like all of these were very foreseeable consequences to a decision to keep these guys on the roster through the start of the season. And look, Colangelo's indecision cost them multiple first round picks. There's no other way to say, it. and I know that for a fact that both Noel and Okafor could have gotten a first round pick at least at that time. Again, not an MCW like first round pick, but a real, also not a Justin Anderson first round pick either. There were real legitimate first-round picks that could have been had. Sixers lost them because they were indecisive at that time, and it's a it's a shame. It's a shame when you when you look at what they could do now in trades. These could have been real uh real factors in it. Again, yep. probably not centerpieces of these trades, but factors in it.
0: And you look at the the Bayless mistake. If they were able to get an extra first-round pick for one of these guys, maybe they'd be able to use that as a sweetener to get off Bayless's deal this summer.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's a, a million different ways that could be used, and that's certainly one of them so that, two i I'm gonna count those as two two mistakes because I mean it it's two different top prospects. I think that's fair. so now it's starting to even out a little bit more and again, drafting Simmons even though it was an easy decision has more consequence than either of these two transactions that's why we're going down this list in the way that we are, but definite mistakes there yeah it,
0: drafting Simmons is more important but if this makes sense he had more control of these decisions. Right. Uh even even though their their consequence matters less long term.
1: The the outcomes are yeah. more uh more impacted by his own decision making for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh all right, is there uh Anything else I, I really, guess
1: like like in all the one year deals we don't put too much stock into them. Late late first round picks. If one of them works out great, that's that's a consequential part not really whether all of them work out. So I don't want to we can say here about TLC and Corkmas and Pesicniks. Bolden looks like a, at least a, a pretty good, yeah, pretty good signing. Selling second round picks will never, especially second round picks in the 30s, will never sit well with me. But it's also not like when we're talking about Fultz and Simmons and Embiid and Covington, you start talking about selling second round picks, and it's like, what are you doing? Um,
0: it's also it's also harder to get, uh, you know, these Covington level players and, and McConnell type players when you have a full roster of NBA players that sure. that was sure. that's really dawned on me over the past couple of years was not only was the uh, the process great in terms of getting uh you know getting these top level players and getting Simmons and Embiid in 3 years is just mm-hmm. fantastic but it's it was also great to just give these guys playing time and and just churning through cuz you know the the uh, the detractors of hinky will say, "All right, great, he got those two players, but how many guys were recycled in and right. and ended up not That's playing anywhere." Point. Yeah. That's the point, though, right? It's it's that they had you know four or five roster spots that they could just continually churn, and and getting Covington and McConnell, in my opinion, was a, was a perfect use of those. But now the Sixers don't have that luxury. A, they don't have the roster spots, but I think even more importantly, they don't, have, they don't have the playing time.
1: No, for sure. And I mean, that's another thing where, you know, we frequently talk on rebuilding teams about veterans and like prominent veterans who, who command playing time and aren't happy about losing, being detrimental. And we focus on the wins and losses and losing lottery ball combinations and whatnot. But it's also things like Covington and, and, and McConnell where you lose that playing time, those roster spots where you can try to find a couple of these guys. And like you said, the um the the, the, the percentage hit, like how many how many they got out of how many chances, it doesn't it doesn't matter. That's not that wasn't the point of it. But it is harder I, now. And like I said, I would I don't want to say like giving away a, a second round pick in the thirties is inconsequential because I would like to keep those. I think those are worth significantly more than than picks forty five plus. But you know, at at some point, it is going to be tough to keep all these second round picks. Definitely,
0: we'll see how the dust settles. <laughs> they, uh,
1: <laughs> I wonder if anybody recognizes that reference at us. I'll be I'll be kind of impressed, but it was very, very comical.
0: I look at the Rockets too, and I, I think Mori is probably the best general manager in the league, in my opinion, at this point. If not, he's one of the the you know very top. Uh, he's a, he's in that top tier think about all of the you know the 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 d league sort of guys who they let slip through their fingers and and had success in other places i'm talking about talking about jeremy lynn i'm talking about uh covington there are a few other guys that i'm uh that i'm not that that i'm staying on there are a couple other guys and it for that it's for that reason. It's that they, they have never tanked. So they've always had an NBA roster. It's not like Maury didn't realize these guys had some value or could be good players, but it took the Sixers situation for them to develop. And yep. what uh what do you think? you know, I was just watching the Thunder game the other night. Jeremy Grant looks like he's playing pretty well. You uh you think that has any consequence moving forward, the uh the Sova trade?
1: What was the pick they ended up getting back for him? I always
0: this so one, they got it was a heavily protected pick from the Thunder. It's it's still in the future, remember? Because it was it was two years after the Thunder had to make another trade. Uh, so basically, I, I believe it's now it's a 2020 first round pick, and for three years it's protected one to twenty. Okay, okay. and then it becomes a second if not.
1: Which I mean, with the core, they well, it, a lot of it depends on Paul George and whether or not they end up keeping him around. But there's a chance the Sixers could get that pick in the 20s.
0: No, they they traded it though for uh Pisechnis.
1: Oh, okay. Um <laughs> And Grant is on the Is this the final year of his Hinky Special?
0: I think so, yes.
1: Yeah, and he's he's playing he's playing pretty well. He's playing pretty well. He still can't shoot, and that's kind of tough. That's kind of tough on a on a Sixers team. But with where the the NBA is going in terms of switchable forwards, and guys who can protect the rim and come from the weak side. You know, I like Jeremy Grant a lot. I think he'll probably end up being a better player than Pesetniks if I had to put the over-under on it. But I'm just not sure he's going to fit with that kind of shot. I mean, he's shooting 63% from the field or from the from the free throw line and 26% from three. That's tough, man. And I remember when he last year when he joined the Thunder, like he he shot the ball decently from the perimeter. And whenever Jeremy Grant shoots the ball from the perimeter, it's like, all right, but let's see whether or not that one holds up. And so far this year it hasn't.
0: Yeah, I'd love to see him defend next to Embiid. I think they could I mean that would be some real violence at the rim, yep. like actual violence. Uh it would be really hard to score on them. But yeah, I mean the spacing concerns on the other other end. I I can at least uh you know, if the value doesn't work out for the Sixers, I can at least understand why they were concerned about the fit there.
1: Yeah, and I I like I like jeremy quite a bit defensively like a ton defensively and he would have been great to watch on that end um really good for late game substitutions i guess i don't know and no, yeah. i like i like i like jeremy a lot it's just the the fit would have been especially with like you put him on the court with Simmons and it's just what are you doing offensively i don't know i don't know
0: yeah all right so let's let's wrap it up what uh so i guess what do we have on the six the six important ones we had the the big incomplete, or the the seven important ones. The the big incomplete on the false deal, the uh, the signings and the the drafting of Simmons were all positive, and then the uh, the Bayless signing and uh, and the big guy trading the uh, the two young big guys were negative. So yep. I, I guess h- how would you sum up that? You know how would you sum up Colangelo's first two years here? See.
1: Right around to C. Maybe very. It, it's tough with that big incomplete being the most important one. Like, it's real tough. Like, it feels like any great grade we give is completely premature. And also, you know, the way I look at it, the Fultz trade is the biggest of consequence. And the free agency decision and what they do with the cap space over the next, uh, next two years, next two summers at least, is probably the second biggest decision. And to have two of those still outstanding, there's a lot to be written on the uh on the Brian Colangelo resume, so I would say right now, right around the seat with uh room to go and uh, with a lot of room to go in either direction. I think what I would push back on though, you know I think a lot of people look at it like you know Brian Colangelo is gonna justifiably mistake you to death is the way I think I've heard it phrased like. All of, a lot of these decisions from the Bayless, which I don't think the Bayless one is justifiable actually, but the Booker trade, uh, the Amir signing, none of them outwardly awful, but they're going to, you know, kind of deplete the Sixers' asset base until they have nothing left and end up ruining a a, a a really great chance. I'm not sure I see that as much as it's these really big decisions that he still has to make or that he made in the false transaction, which is going to end up defining his, his tenure.
0: Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with the the paper cutting the Sixers to death. The much better the, uh, way to phrase it. Yep. The big decisions are what matters. And yeah, I would agree with you. I would say C, but you know, a, a C with only twenty percent of his grade in.
1: Right. Exactly. Right? Exactly. He's done a couple of homework assignments and hasn't yet had the uh, hasn't yet had the midterm or the final graded.
0: Nope. Even though the midterm so,
1: happened almost a year ago now, which is awkward.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, the professor's taking a little while to grade that one. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. So, and I think that's the that's the point, and that's the conclusion I'd come to is that, you know, we we can talk about these moves, and we, you know, obviously we're obsessive in in tracking everything the Sixers do, but in terms of of gming, there were always going to be a couple of transition years for Colangelo here, and especially when your most important decision decisions involve the draft a, a lot of times it's going to take a few years to figure out whether those, those moves actually mattered and uh, you know, whether, whether they pan out. So I would say that too. It's just, I, I it's just kind of, I don't like it, it. I don't want to make this seem like this is a defense of Colangelo. I, I just don't think there's too many concrete things to criticize him on of, of major consequence yet. Now, if, you know, if Fultz never figures out this shot, that's you know we're, we're talking about close to eighty percent of his grade filled in. Perhaps if they if they don't land a big time free agent over the next couple of years, and again, I, I understand that in uh, in luring a free agent, he's going to be do- doing that with a core that Sam Hickey put together. Oh, for sure, yeah. more or less that that Sam Hickey's strategy. But we can only grade him on what you know, what he has in front of him and, and what he inherited. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't think he's been great so far. I don't think he's necessarily been terrible, but there, there's just still so much out there that needs to, the, the, the dust needs to settle on, on Colangelo's tenure.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and going, that's one thing that I, I'll give him a win in his favor too. Like one of the big things I feared is that he would go out and make such wide ranging changes to make it, a little less obvious how much of a, a fingerprint Sam Hinkie left on this franchise, and he hasn't done that at all. Like Brett Brown's still here, the cap space is still here. Um, the, the Markel Fultz trade kind of, kind of, you know, tapped into that. But by and large, he hasn't made any ho- the wholesale changes. You know, Covington was a Hinkie guy; he extended. Like he hasn't made the wholesale changes <clears throat> that I thought he would have, and I give him credit for doing that. Um, you know, I think, like you said, at, at some point you're going to say, okay, these these free agents ended up signing because of Embiid primarily, and that's that's Hinkie's influence and the cap space. The cap space is Hinkie, and it's really hard to avoid that, including when you, people like you and I point that out. Like I know at one point, heading into Markel Fultz's freshman season at Washington, I said, man, if uh, you know, if if Luka Mitrovic and Arturus Gudias ever turn into Markel Fultz, I'm going to be insufferable because you have to remind everyone how how you got there. And you have to give give Hickey credit for that. And you still have to do that. So Colangelo resisting the urge to kind of imprint his own stamp on this organization, I think, is at least a little bit admirable.
0: I agree. He is not operated in a manner where he's trying to chase basically our grades and trying to chase credit, uh, which is good.
1: I mean, sometimes when he when he had that well, fake first I mean, round draft pick face, and all
0: that stuff, yeah, 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 that was pretty. That was pretty bad.
1: It was so um, bad. bad, like it had been pointed had out term. so obviously that that this was all for marketing purposes. That by the time he had his press conference, he said, "Guys, look, I understand this is very unlikely to convey." Like he had to almost fight against it, which was interesting. Um,
0: the other thing I'll say is look, we we can judge his uh, his public relations and marketing. That, uh, that's I, I think that more falls under that sphere.
1: And and by the way. The actual personnel decisions are way more important than how he talks to us, how he presents his transactions, all that stuff. Way more important. And I guess the other thing I'll say is is maybe if you want to look at some of these misses and say you question then whether or not he's going to end up getting these big decisions, right? I think that's probably more of a fair way to judge it, regardless of which direction you go in. I'm not going to tell you which direction to go anyway. But that's probably more what you should do is is read into it Rather than say these decisions are crippling their future. Yeah. All right. I think uh, after an hour and 12 minutes, I'll tell you what, when we got like, we were like 40 minutes into this thing, and I think we had only gone through a Markell trade, and I was like, whew, this is going to be a long one. So, good time to cut it off. Thank you for jumping on, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: I'm Tip. You've been listening to the Sixers beat. Right here on libertyballers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. co.